welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, we're going to return to a topic that we we haven't addressed actually in a while. Uh, we picked it up early, towards the end of 2013, and now we're going to come back in part because there's been a series of blips on the news radar that came up just in the past two weeks about Chinese weapon sales in Africa. Now, this is a very sensitive issue in part because it touches on a lot of nerves related to colonialism, related to instability, and related to the uncertainty of what the Chinese role in Africa is. But it's also tied to a broader insecurity in, um, outside of Africa about the role of Chinese weapon sales, uh, not only on the continent, but everywhere in the world, in part because there is so little transparency in the Chinese arms industry. So, Kobus, there were three uh, datelines that caught our attention. Number one is Algeria, number two is Djibouti, and number three is Nigeria. Why don't you quickly walk us through uh, the, the key milestones that came up in the past few weeks in these three countries? So there's been two large weapon sales um, to Nigeria and Algeria. In, in Algeria, they bought um, apparently 50 um, self-propelling howitzer um, artillery vehicles. Um, and they are uh, also considering buying drones um, from, from a Chinese company. Um, and there's some um, websites are reporting that there's been a, an agreement in the Algerian government government to order 90 drones. Um, then Nigeria recently um, bought two um, patrol ships with, uh, and they, they you could, each can carry um, each. They, they, the, both of them are armed. Um, they can also each of them can carry a helicopter, um, and they have stealth, stealth capability, which apparently they are being they are being used for offshore patrolling um, against uh, smuggling and also you know kind of um, piracy. Um, each of those cost twenty one million dollars, and they are being built in China. And I think the the China the, apparently the Nigerian government or representatives from the government recently accepted the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, there were an agree an agreement um, was signed between uh, the defense minister of China and the defense minister of Djibouti to uh, as an agreement to promote mutually beneficial cooperation in the defense industry. So we're not actually sure what that's going to okay. what that actually would mean in reality. But uh, yeah, you know, kind of. So, so the, those were the three big ones. Good. So let's. Uh, and again, we often do this on the show where we put a little bit of a disclaimer out there. Uh, and I, and I'll put this as a joint disclaimer. But Kobus, if I'm if I'm wrong here, you're allowed to slap me virtually. Um, that we are not military and defense contracting experts from the Chinese or the African side. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So we'll, we'll put that out there. Uh, there is actually a couple people in our Facebook community who are exceptionally well-versed in this. Uh, Stephen Guo, who is a, who's based in South Africa, every time we put up a conversation about uh, the Chinese military operations and military sales in Africa, he just comes out to be, you know, with some amazing insights on this. So I'm hoping that Stephen will actually contribute to our discussion on Facebook at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Okay, with that quick disclaimer out of the way, we're going to talk about about this in broad terms, just to kind of put this on your radar as talking points. And so you can dig a little bit deeper on it, but we're not going to pretend that we're experts on this by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, In Algeria, so we're going to take the three countries kind of piece by piece. Kobus, you talked about 
the 50 new howitzers, those are the PLZ-45. Those are self-propelled howitzers. They look a lot like tanks, uh, but they have the really long cannons, which give it those long-range, uh, those long, that, that long-range ability. And you're thinking about the types of conflicts that, that one would fight in Algeria. Lots of open space. Uh, they have, you know, again, going back to the terrorism attacks and some of the oil installations that happened in the past few years, uh, where militants were making huge, di- you know, they're traversing large distances to attack. So I can see why those howitzers would actually be something that they would be interested in doing. That comes from a Chinese company called Norinco. Norinco is probably the largest, if not the largest, um, one of the largest, if not the largest uh, Chinese arms sales companies. And so that's definitely a company to watch. Uh, on the UAV side, uh, this is also uh, interesting because they're looking at uh, the Xianglong UAV, which is an uh, you know unmanned aerial vehicle, these are effectively drones. And again, in a country like Algeria that has very very sparse populated areas of it, one could see the values of having drones kind of overseeing big parts of the country that don't necessarily need to be staffed by humans, but yet could be monitored remotely by drones. The advantage of the Chinese drones over, say, the American drones is that a, a Predator and a Reaper, which are the two main American drones, both are armed. The Predators go for $4.5 million, the Reapers go for $10 million, and a Chinese Xianglong drone usually goes for about a million dollars. So, Kobus, the thought that the, the Algerians are considering buying a, a pretty decent order size of these uh, makes a lot of sense in some senses. Yeah, they're saying they want to use it for anti-terrorism in the Maghreb. Um, which to, makes sense. And to... Yeah, to go after drug and arms smuggling um, and, you know, kind of to to kind of um, secure their borders uh, from militants, are, you know, kind of which, which you know, particularly in the wake of, of a conflict in Mali and Libya. So, I mean, all of those kind of make sense. I have to say, though, that the idea of the, the just the... The kind of general wide kind of selling and buying of drones by lots of lots of different governments that just that itself just makes me nervous. Um, you know, kind of just just the, the proliferation of drones across the world is is something that that I'm not particularly kind of happy. You know, kind of about. Uh, well, and, you know, kind of the, the idea is just the idea is just kind of eerie and scary for me. It is a little bit eerie and scary. Maybe it's because it's the word drone as opposed to I don't know. If we said UAVs, that may be less intimidating. Uh, but you know, Chinese drones could also be used you know, to protect the elephants and the rhinos in you know sure, the sure. Kruger National Park, which would be an irony of all ironies. Wouldn't that be weird if it was a Chinese drone <laughs> kind of protecting the elephant being shot by a poacher with the ivory ultimately making back to China. I don't, you know. There, there might already be plans to do that. I remember vaguely seeing something like that at some stage mentioned. I'm not sure how official it is. They've been talking about it, and they've been talking about use in both Kenya and South Africa. I think South Africa is going to be the first to use drones, but they're not going to use these militarized drones. What we're talking about here are the drones that you see in the movies. Uh, again, the style of the Predator and the Reaper. And it also should be noted that these drones uh, most likely have an enormous amount of American technology built in. Into them because the Chinese have been so effective at draining the United States from its uh, technological secrets uh, through very effective cyber warfare uh, tactics here. Uh, nonetheless, what we can probably see is the injection of Chinese armaments into North Africa. But it should be noted, though, and this is something that we should also put at the top of our show. 
that despite the fact that the Chinese have long been selling weapons into Africa, small arms, lots and lots of small arms, from what the Stockholm Institute or Stockholm International Peace Research Institute says, CIPRI, which is from what I understand to be the most reputable uh, kind of analyst or organization on this subject, they still don't put the Chinese in the top five. That it's the Russians, the Germans, the South Africans, the Americans, the French, the British, who are the big weapon sellers into Africa. So in some ways, China is playing catch up here. Uh, So I think that's a very important distinction to make. Kobus, I know there's people who would disagree with me on that, saying it doesn't matter if they're in the top five. The fact is they're they're selling, uh, you know, small arms, which are extraordinarily destructive, disproportionately destructive compared to America's very expensive, high-value ticket, uh, you know, weapon systems that aren't used as much, but yet still that's why the Americans dominate the global arms sales business, not because of quantity, but because of dollar value. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a very complicated issue. Of course, um, you know, there's a lot of arms being sold to Africa, um, and a lot of those arms happen to be used for bad things. Um, so, yeah, it's it's you know, it's 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 a very complicated issue. I don't really you know, kind of, I don't really have any expertise to be able to judge, you know, kind of who's better and who's worse in terms of you know, in terms of their of, of what kind of arms they're selling. Um, it's just you know, kind of, the, it, Africa is a very militarized space yeah um and you know kind of when when we come to the issue of Djibouti we you know kind of we'll discuss you know how militarized actually well let's get to Nigeria very quickly first so the as you very briefly mentioned Kobus uh, the Ni- Nigerians bought two P18N uh, patrol vessels you know if you're an American I, I don't have an example for the uh, uh for South Africans but these look like basically Coast Guard cutters uh, they are about 95 meters long. This is an 1,800-ton uh, ship, uh, $21 million, as you said. Now, what's interesting about it is that it carries a 76-millimeter gun and two 30-millimeter auto cannons, but they dropped. They did not put on the, the most sophisticated weapons, which are the ship-to-ship uh, w- uh, warfare systems. So the Chinese are selling a stripped-down version when it comes to the weapons. Uh, what's interesting about this is the reasons why the Nigerians selected the Chinese as contractors for this. And it won't come as any surprise that it came down to cost and delivery time. And that's the same reason that the Chinese are winning out when it comes to basic infrastructure. And now, apparently, they're also applying those same tactics to military infrastructure. Yeah, it's, it's also interesting for me to see how how different Nigeria and Somalia is in terms of, of dealing. Obviously, Somalia is a much, much weaker government. Um, but, you know, kind of the, the Nigerian government kind of buying these these vessels and kind of jumping in there and like policing their own posts and, you know, kind of against pirates. I mean, that's an interesting development in and of itself. Um, them doing it with Chinese with Chinese ships is also interesting for me. Um, you know, because, yeah, so it'll, it'll just be very interesting to see how it develops. And I think it'll be interesting also to follow, you know, if people see that the P-18N is working out well for the Nigerians, would the Angolans want to do it? You know, and, and what are they also policing for? So it's not just piracy. It's not just, uh, you know, counterterrorism. Illegal fishing is something that's a very big issue off the coast of West Africa, ironically, done a lot by the Chinese. Uh, Certainly off the coast of East Africa, illegal fishing when it comes to sharks, uh, Mozambique, that's a big issue. Uh, So these ships will be used in lots of different capacities. One of the trends that we're also watching, Cobus, is the fact that piracy may not be just the exclusive province of the coast of Somalia. We've also seen it now starting to show up off the coast of Angola. So I wonder, given China's very deep relationship with the Angolans, if they will actually then extend their anti-piracy operations or weapon sales, naval weapon sales, uh, to Angola as well. 
Yeah, this is going to be very interesting to watch. Um, I, I think it's I think it's very important. It's a very important issue. Um, obviously, there's a lot of very valuable equipment off the coast of Angola because the oil industry is so huge there. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see, you know, kind of what what develops there. And of course, West Africa is increasingly also a, a route for for a lot of drug smuggling. Um, so yeah, again, you know, kind of it'll be interesting to see what happens off that coast. Well, the most interesting example for me of the past few weeks is Djibouti. Now, Djibouti is one of these countries that doesn't come up in the news very much. And usually when it does pop up in the news, it does have a military aspect to it. And that's in part because it is one of Africa's smallest countries. But it is a hugely, hugely important given that it's strategic location uh, right near the Gulf of Aden. Uh, already it's home. This tiny little country has uh, is home to a United States military base, Camp Lumonier, with over 3,000 soldiers there. Now, interestingly, we were just talking about drone warfare. And up until recently, Djibouti was home to one of the most prolific and active U.S. drone bases uh, in Africa uh, under the command of Africa. But uh, under complaints and due to complaints from the Djibouti government, the United States had to stop because there were too many crashes of drones and also misfires. And the Djibouti government felt that it was just too much uh, political exposure to be launching drone strikes out of Africa, out of Djibouti. My understanding, Kobus, and I have not been able to confirm this outside of one or two articles is that the United States has moved some of its drone warfare into Ethiopia, which is also working very closely with the Chinese security state, both in terms of arms, arms contracting and cyber warfare as well. So this East Africa region from Djibouti to Ethiopia, the governments there seem to be playing with both the United States and China, uh, not obviously in sync with one another, but a country like Djibouti, so small, to have these two superpowers in their own backyard, to me, is very interesting. Yeah, and it's not only those two. I mean, France apparently has had a massive um, base in Djibouti since 1977. Um, and it, it is very interesting to see what... The, I'd, I'd love to actually read an economist's kind of view of, of how this works money-wise, because apparently the US pays $38 million per year in as leasing fees, but essentially as rent, um, to the Djibouti government. I mean, the Djibouti economy is essentially dead. I mean, there, there's, there's nothing really going on there economically. So, you know, kind of... It's increasingly, uh, you know, kind of uh, this weird kind of landlord state, you know, kind of which which makes a lot of its of its yearly revenue from renting out little bits of itself to these foreign powers, um, simply because it's so so perfectly positioned. You can, you you know, kind of apparently the U.S. the U.S. military, you know, kind of uses it as a base to check on South Sudan, to do to kind of check on Yemen, to you know, kind of to look at oil shipments through the Red Sea. You know, so uh, it's it's really interesting how it works. One of the most, <laughs> the funniest uh, details for me about the U.S. Um, military base there is apparently it has its own Subway sandwich shop, yes. which is really <laughs> just a very funny kind of detail for me. <laughs> they, uh, you know, it is at the, it, it, you know, it's at the mouth of the Red Sea. And this is one of the reasons why I can also see the fact that the Chinese are going to be much more engaged in Djibouti in the future, that as the United States 
imports less and less of its oil from places like the Middle East, the Persian Gulf, and Africa. Uh, its reliance on overseas and in, in, in ex- far extended military bases like this may go down. At the same time, we may see that the, United, that the Chinese, who are importing more and more of their oil from those same regions, will want to make sure that the oil lanes and the shipping lanes, that that oil supply is secure. So one of the trends to watch in the next five, maybe 10 years is the deployment of more Chinese naval assets into the Red Sea, the Persian Gulf, and those areas in order to make sure that those oil supplies remain stable because China will only become more energy dependent on overseas because of the environmental pressures that are also underway at home due to the dependence that they currently have on coal. And coal is choking these cities to death from China, from Beijing, Shanghai, Xi'an, all of them. They just, they, people can't breathe anymore. And that was in large part due to coal. So the importation of natural gas and cleaner burning fuels from those regions might be another reason that we see, uh, you know, Defense Minister Chong Wanquan meeting with Hassan uh, Darar. And that is probably just the first step of many when it comes to an extended Chinese military presence uh, on the East African coast and in the Persian Gulf. Yeah. And at the same time, I also think that the U.S. doesn't seem to be planning on really leaving ever. Um, apparently, they have spent $200 million on the Horn of Africa Joint Operations Center since 2011. And they plan to spend a billion dollars more over the next 20 years. And apparently, also again, another funny kind of detail is that they, they apparently allocated $7 million um to train air traffic controllers in Djibouti, um, which is ex- considerably more than the entire aid package to the whole of the country of Djibouti. So, <laughs> so that is another kind of you know kind of indication that I don't think Africon is is leaving soon. No, and it's not. And I think this is a very interesting piece of the broader discussion about the United States versus the Chinese in Africa is that the, the Americans are going to be investing far more in military and anti-terrorism operations in Africa than they will uh, than almost anybody else. So when we look at the American commitment in Africa, it has a lot more to do with security than it does development. 25% of the entire USAID budget in Africa is for the, you know is, is made up of military. Um, so, okay, maybe that's not more, but nonetheless, it's far disproportionate to what, you know, the Chinese are doing there. So I think that gets lost when we talk about the Chinese versus the Americans in places like Africa, is that the Americans very much are militaristic in their approach there. I don't say that as a negative. I'm just stating a fact. Uh, I am frustrated that in the broader conversation that the Americans don't come under the same scrutiny that others like the Chinese do when when we talk about neocolonialism, because ultimately the deployment of troops and the engagement in combat uh, in Africa is, to me, closer to neocolonialism than what we see from the Chinese as well. So it's, again, just attacking a double standard rather than any particular country or policy. Yeah, and also, you know, I, I, I do have problems with it, among other problems, being that those are essentially, you know, I mean, this, these are massive investments, but they, the, what they essentially create are these high security islands, you know, kind of in the middle of, of this of, of this country. Um, so it's this, this sea of underdevelopment with this incredibly high tech little little blip in the middle of it, um, you know, kind of where where normal Africans can never enter, um, and that that is kind of armed to the teeth and, and defending itself all the way around. You know, kind of it just seems, you know, it's just not conducive to any kind of larger kind of societal advancement. You know, um, and and compared to that, I have to say, you know, just from my kind of 
non-expert perspective, the Chinese, you know, investment in infrastructure and so on and so on, everything that they that they're doing, just has a lot more impact on 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 the societies. You know, kind of it has a lot more impact on people's lives. Yeah, and um, I'll, I'll draw your attention yeah. to a comment made by Howard French, the famed former uh, New York Times correspondent and now Columbia University scholar. And he talks about how, you know, the United States really sends out a dual message in Africa, whereby their support of, you know, non-democratic regimes that happen to co- that happen to align with their security interests really undermines the broader agenda for democracy and civil society reform and whatnot that they're doing elsewhere in the continent. And there's an inconsistency in American policy because of the support of non-democratic regimes due to military, you know, necessity. So in the one sense, too, that you're talking about about is the infrastructure that the Americans are building around these military installations uh, does not help a broader population. The investment in the ruling elites that the Americans must do also does not help. And so in some ways, again, we run up with a double standard, that the same level of criticism that the Chinese are getting uh, is not being applied to the Americans. I'm not suggesting that the Chinese should aren't deserving of criticism. I'm just suggesting that we should apply the same standards to, to all parties there. And I, I, I agree with you that the spread of American military bases in Africa is not a good thing for the continent in the long run. Yeah, yeah, you know, kind of. It, it, I think it tends to have a an effect also of in, just entrenching, um, you know, kind of non-democratic governments. Um, so I mean, the Djibouti gov- the government of Djibouti is is notoriously not friendly to any kind of dissent. Um, it never gets criticised. In fact, Hillary Clinton praised it. You know, kind of as this kind of centre to security and stabilisation in Africa. So I mean, so there we are. Okay. So Howard French has a has a very good point. You know, it's funny. I I've turned on Howard French. Remember back in the early days of our show, I was pretty hostile to him. And now actually yeah, I've been praising him. him left and right. I, I was. And now actually, you know, <laughs> I find myself praising him more often than critiquing him. So, uh, so there, you know, I think he's unfriended me from Twitter. So I, I don't have any direct way of communicating with him. But uh, if he happens to listen to the show or if some of his students listen to the show, please pass on to Howard French my regards. Um, listen, we've run out of time. Uh, we, again, will apologize if there's any inaccuracies in this podcast. Both Cobus and I are not experts here, but we did want to bring up the subject of the, the military aspect of the China-Africa relationship because both of us agree that it is becoming far more important than it was even just a few years ago. So what we're trying to do is really bring you to the front door and let you then go on and do the extra research on this. But there were a number of key events in Algeria, Djibouti, and Nigeria that are worthy of further research. And, and we hope that people who, who know more about this subject, like Stephen Guo on our Facebook page, will reach out to us because we would love to have uh, a guest on the show. I speak for Cobus when we, we are absolutely open to people inviting themselves on the show if you have a particular expertise. You can DM us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. We're pretty easy to find. Uh, or you can find us. There are email addresses on our blog at China Africa project.com so uh that'll do it for this edition of the show cobus at the end of every show we like to kind of tell people where they can find us what's the best way for people to reach you if they want to see what you're reading and writing these days um i'm also on twitter at stadenesque that's s-t-a-d-e-n-e-s-q-u-e and both cobus and i uh, moderate a hundred sixty thousand follower facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash china africa project 
Uh, we're posting the top China Africa headlines there uh, almost 18 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's a great place to stay on top of the news, participate in discussions, uh, things like military engagement, military affairs. Even though we don't know a lot about it, we do like to have the discussions nonetheless. And what we find is that there are some amazing people in this community who join the conversation with a lot of great information. So it's great for everybody to learn. So uh, once again, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Of course, if you want to find this podcast and follow this podcast, best way to do it is over on iTunes. At uh, Just look for us at China Africa Project. And you can also find us on SoundCloud as well. So until next time, we'll be back with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.